then. Okay, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 28. After John was put in prison, that is, John the Baptist, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went into Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching? And with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Well, the reading ends here, but now... Chris is going to come and uh, explain it to us. Thank you, Chris. I love oratory. In other words, I love public speaking. I've always loved to listen to political speeches. I love to hear a speaker move a crowd. Tony Blair was an amazing orator. Barack Obama was a fantastic orator. Their speeches were like music. But like me, I'm sure you've noticed, our culture has become cynical, suspicious of oratory. People are cynical about political speeches, and they're cynical about religious sermons. People think cynical thoughts. What is this man or woman trying to make me do? We don't want our emotions to be worked on. We don't want to come under the power of a great speaker A few generations ago, this was not the case. Oratory was admired. But, for example, Tony Blair went from being a hugely popular 
Prime Minister to being a hated and reviled figure because of the Iraq war. To be a great orator can be just a way of manipulating people to your own ends. And so people will say, don't preach at me, or you're being preachy. And people don't like that. People don't like it because our lives don't match our preaching very often. We have to face the fact, without reservation, that Jesus is presented to us as a preacher. He's the greatest orator that ever lived. The crowds would be gripped by his amazing words. And it's not possible to be cynical about Jesus' preaching because he preaches as one with all authority. And he preaches as one whose life matches his words. Jesus practiced what he preached, always, without exception. Jesus is a unique and authoritative preacher. We don't like preachers as a culture because we've lost our faith in God and therefore lost our faith in truth. Truth with a capital T. Very famously, the Manic Street Preachers brought out an album called This Is My Truth, Tell Me Yours. The Duchess of Sussex has recently been in the news for sharing my truth, she says, with Oprah Winfrey and with the world. If there's no God, then there is no truth, no truth with a capital T, no objective truth, no absolute truth. The minister of a so-called atheistic church, yes, one such thing exists, called its sermons perspectives. There's no God, so there's no truth. There's no proclamation of the truth. There are simply perspectives on life. But what if there is a God? What if there is a God who is powerful and good? What if Jesus is who he claimed to be? The divine Son of God. What if God has broken into time and space and spoken authoritatively in the person of Jesus? Doesn't that change everything? There is truth. It can be proclaimed. It can be preached. And when it is preached by one such as Jesus, a man whose life was perfect, shouldn't we listen and believe? And shouldn't we trust this truth, this truth-speaking God? We just saw in Mark 1, where we saw last week, that the title of the gospel, 
The title of the book comes in verse 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. There is good news. There is a gospel. And it's all about Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. God's anointed king. God's chosen one. He is the Son of God. He is God himself come to live amongst us on earth. And he's come to be our rescuer, to be our saviour. He's come to rescue us. He's come to save us from hell, from a life of rebellion against God for heaven, for a life in obedience to God. The Old Testament promised Jesus would come. There are hundreds of prophecies of Jesus. Mark refers to two of them in verses 2 and 3. John the Baptist, it was prophesied, would come and prepare the way for Jesus. He would prepare people's hearts by calling them to repent of their sins. John points away from himself to Jesus, the one who would baptize with the Holy Spirit. And then God himself speaks as Jesus is baptized. God the Father affirms, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Satan tempts Jesus. Satan tries to drag him off track. But Jesus does nothing wrong. And what we see today is the revolutionary, the demanding, and the powerful preaching of Jesus. It's revolutionary, demanding, and powerful. That's the preaching of Jesus. Firstly then, see how it's revolutionary. Verse 14. After John was put in prison. That's an astonishing phrase. John is the most successful preacher in Israel's history. All the people come out to repent of their sins and to be baptized by him. And yet, here he is put in prison. The Apostle Paul says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3.12 It was true of John it was true of Jesus. It's true of Jesus' followers. We live in a free society. There's not state-sponsored persecution. The persecution comes in more subtle forms. I was hearing this week of a young Christian woman who went to university. She was a godly young woman. Her other flatmates were heavy drinkers, sexually promiscuous and lewd. She didn't fit in. You may have known that sort of persecution. John went to prison for his faith. Jesus went to the cross 
But John's imprisonment doesn't put Jesus off, verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. Jesus is a preacher with a revolutionary message. There is a God that is revolutionary. Our society is increasingly mistaken. There is a God. There is truth. There is meaning. There is purpose. There is morality. There is right and wrong. Because there is a God. A God who has good news for us. What's the good news? Verse 15. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come. The Old Testament prophets had long predicted the coming of God's king. The time has come. The king has come. The kingdom of God has come near. I don't know if you've read The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Narnia is under the rule of the White Witch, making it always winter and never Christmas. And yet, says Mr. Beaver, Aslan is on the move. The White Witch's power is coming to an end. The true king, Aslan, is bringing about his rule. Jesus is on the move here in Mark 1. The kingdom of God has come near. The world is being ruled by God's enemy, by Satan, just like the white witch in Narnia. But Jesus is on the move. The kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God is breaking in. The revolution has begun. Jesus is saying it's possible now to live under the rule of God's king, Jesus. The kingdom of God is not a geographical entity like the United Kingdom. The kingdom of God is a spiritual entity made up of all those who are living with Jesus as king. One day, Jesus will return. And the Bible says the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. And he will reign forever and ever. Revelation 15, 11, 15. So there will come a day when the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world will be one. Satan will be destroyed. All rebellion against King Jesus will be destroyed. Jesus alone will reign supreme. But that day is some way off. For now, the kingdom of God has come near. 
Jesus is making it possible for men and women, boys and girls, to make Jesus their king and to take out citizenship in the kingdom of God. How do you transfer your citizenship to the kingdom of God? Verse 15. Repent and believe the good news. What does repent mean? A young woman was walking to a lecture at her university. A man she rather liked drew up in his car going the other way. Are you going my way? The man asked. Clearly she was not. But she got into his car and drove off in the opposite direction to her lecture. That's an illustration of repentance. To repent means to change your mind, to rethink the direction of your life, and to go off in the opposite direction. Previously, we may have been going away from God. When we repent, we change our mind about this, and we start following Jesus, going his way, just like the girl who changed her mind about going to the lecture and drove off in the opposite direction. We have changed our minds about following Satan. And now we want to go Jesus' way. That's how you make Jesus king. That's how you enter God's kingdom. We repent and we believe. We believe the good news. The good news is that Jesus has come to be king and rescuer. And we believe that. We put our trust in Jesus and make him our king. This is revolutionary. A change of government takes place. We move from Prince Satan to King Jesus. We love and follow him. Jesus' preaching is revolutionary. Secondly, it's demanding, verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Jesus makes great demands on his followers. Simon Peter and his brother Andrew have a settled life. They have a successful business. They're fishermen. And what does Jesus require of them? He requires everything. They must leave their successful business and come follow me. And Jesus says the same thing to us. He doesn't say, give me an hour a week on a Sunday morning. 
He doesn't say, give me your spare change or even give me your free time. He says, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. I'll give you a whole new purpose to your life. Jesus calls us to follow him as our leader, to worship him as our God, to serve him as our king. This might mean giving up your career and becoming a full-time servant of the gospel. It might mean going abroad as a missionary. Or it might mean staying in your school or in your office or in your social network. But now, being there for Christ, being a school student for Christ, working diligently at your schoolwork, but praying for opportunities to speak of Christ with your school friends. Or it might mean staying in school as a teacher, being an exemplary school teacher, but understanding that you are there to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Might mean staying in your workplace to do this. Jesus' teaching is revolutionary, it's demanding. And what happens? Verse 18. At once they left their nets and followed him. Jesus demands everything from his followers. Verse 19. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Jesus demands everything from James and John too. Thirdly, Jesus' teaching is powerful. Verse 21. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. The teachers of the law would say something like, as Rabbi so-and-so says. On the other hand, as Rabbi such-and-such says. Jesus simply says, very truly, I say to you, The people were amazed at the authority of his teaching. But there's another way here in which we see the power of Jesus' word. Verse 23. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Look at the power of Jesus' word here, verse 25. Be quiet 
said Jesus sternly. Come out of him, verse 26. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Jesus is an amazing preacher. His preaching is revolutionary. It's demanding and it's very powerful. He speaks with absolute authority. When Jesus tells an evil spirit to be quiet and to come out of a man, that's exactly what happens. Verse 27. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. Well, unsurprisingly, news of Jesus spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. How will we respond to the preaching, the teaching of Jesus? It is revolutionary. It proclaims to us that the kingdom of God has come near. Jesus is making it possible for sinful people like you and me to leave the control of Satan and his demons and to bring our lives under the rule of Jesus Christ. We have to repent, change our minds, and turn away from our sin. And we have to believe. We have to put our faith in Jesus. Have you joined the revolution? Have you come to live in the kingdom of God? Will you give your life to serving the kingdom of God? That's very demanding. That's the second thing we see about Jesus' teaching here. Jesus demands everything from us. Come, follow me, he says. Live your life for me. Live your life fishing for people, sharing the gospel with others. What will you do with the demands of Jesus? Will you ignore him? Will you try to avoid his demands? Or will you willingly serve him? And Jesus is incredibly powerful. He has all authority. When he preaches, everyone listens. He has authority over demons. And one day, we will see that he has authority over us. We will stand before him as our judge, and he will judge our lives with absolute power and authority. If we submit to him today, if we make him king today, we'll be safe 
on the day of judgment. If we repent and believe, if we turn away from our rebellion against King Jesus, if we turn to following Jesus, and if we trust that when he died on the cross, he was paying for our sin, if we ask him to be our rescuer, we will be safe on the day of judgment. Are you safe? Or are you still in rebellion against him? If you died tonight, would you go to heaven or to hell? And if you do know that you're safe, are you living for Christ? Are you living for the revolution? Are you living for the kingdom of God? Are you living as a fisher of people? Are you on the lookout for opportunities to speak about Jesus? And as you do so, are you trusting in the power and authority of Jesus? Jesus said just one page back in your Bible, in Matthew 28, 18 and 19, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations in his name, in his authority, in his power. Go into the world and live for Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is God come to save us. And we thank you for the revolutionary demanding power of his word. Thank you for speaking to us. And Lord, we would now bring our lives under the rule of King Jesus. Help us to love him and to trust him and to serve him with all the strength and the energy that you give to us. We give you our lives afresh. In Jesus' name, amen.